Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. Uh, hi, I'm Jason. Nice to see you all. Um, so we're going to get to be good friends. We're going to spend the next hour and a half together. And I've got a couple goals. My first goal is not to bore you. Because the majority of classes I was in, uh, and I didn't go to a lot of the classes that I was supposed to, I was really bored at. So that's my first goal. My second goal is to make sure that you leave here with some really, um, that you leave here feeling like your life is better than it was an hour and a half ago. My last goal is to help you get every single thing you want out of life. And I actually think I can do that. But I can only do it for probably five to 10 of you. And the reason I can only do it for five to 10 of you is because only five or 10 of you are going to do the things that I'm telling you that the most successful people in the world do. I don't know what five, out of 10 of you, five to 10 of you it's going to be. I can't look at you. You can't talk to me afterwards. The only way we'll know is in time. Uh, but I think that I can help you get the things that you're looking for in your life. And I know a lot about what you're thinking about. I know that you're thinking about what kind of job I'm going to have when I leave this experience. What's my life going to really be like in five, ten years from now? Am I ever going to feel like I'm going to fit in and find my place? Am I going to have sex tonight? (laughs) Am I going to have sex in the next 20 nights? Why did I have sex with that person last night? (laughs) And and what I'm going to do is, um, I'm going to tell you my story. And not because my story is important, because I'm really indistinguishable from any one of you. And I was literally sitting right where you were in this classroom in Broida just about 10 years ago in one of these very seats, probably not paying attention to the person that was up here talking, thinking that I had it figured out and focused on something else. And because I was right where you were really not that long ago, and because there's nothing different about me than any single one of you, I think the lessons that I've learned in my journey in the last 10 years are going to be especially important for you. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. So the context of this talk is really about uh, specifically how to be successful in business and the lessons that I've learned along the way. But whether or not you're interested in starting your own business, being successful in business, having a great family, doing charity work, getting to travel, having amazing relationships, living a rich, rewarding life, living just a life of being rewarded for being rich, I think these lessons are going to help you out. Uh, And so I'm going to tell you an entrepreneurship fable uh, about myself, and that's why we call it the 21 Golden Rules, um, a fable about entrepreneurship. And and my entrepreneurial story started here at UCSB. And it started in my junior year when I made a decision based on a joke that I was going to run for AS president. And I was working in AS, and I was doing volunteer work. I ran this thing called Family Literacy, where I helped match up students on campus 
to go read to the families in Isla Vista for their kids that didn't necessarily have the best English speaking skills. And all these people were running for student body president, and they had been in AS government, and student reps, and parties this, and party that. And I just told somebody in a joke, hey, I'm going to run for class president. And then I started thinking about it more and more, and I asked myself the question, well, why wouldn't I? And the first lesson that I applied on my journey was really a lesson I had taken with me my whole life. And lesson number one is, you'll see it when you believe it. And most of us are trained from when we're little kids and you come to school and you get critical thinking that you'll, uh, you'll see it, you'll, uh, all someone will believe something when they see it. Right? When you show me proof, I'll believe it. But that's not what great entrepreneurs do to live their life. That's not what exceptional people do. Exceptional people, no matter what the endeavor is, no matter what the area is, believe it and then they see it which means they're able to see in their mind's eye with specific detail what they want a future experience of life to be like. And you paint that picture in your mind with such specificity, with such detail, with such color, with such richness, that it becomes real. And you hold on to that mental image. And if there's one superpower that I really feel that I have in life, and we're going to talk about superheroes later today, is that I really feel I can manifest the things in my mind into reality. And I know a lot of you feel the same way too. I know you feel like there was a time in your life that you had this like, image of what your life was going to be like coming here to UCSB and you made it real. And then you almost pinch yourself feeling like, did I do that? Did I make this thing in my head real? And so to start off on my entrepreneurial journey when I was running for AS president, I pictured this thing in my head, this future experience of this is what I was going to have. And I, I literally walked down to the areas where they had pictures of all the student body presidents. And I mentally put an image like my picture is going to be on that wall. And a couple months later it was. And that's what every great entrepreneur and every successful person does. They don't tell themselves I'll believe it when I see it. They live by the model, I'll see it when I believe it. The second thing that always drove me along was that, is ever since I was a little kid, I had this perpetual sense of urgency. I literally wake up every single morning feeling like there's a clock of my life that's ticking down. And don't some of you feel like you're kind of meant for really big, great things? Really big things. In fact, so big that to tell the person that you know or your friends or your dating or your family to say it out loud almost feels embarrassing. You feel like you're meant to do something so important and so special that to say that out loud almost feels embarrassing. Right? When I was like 16, I was like, I, I really I want to be the president of the United States. What are the odds that's going to happen? I don't know. But somebody's going to be it. Why not me? Why not you? And I've had this perpetual sense of urgency that this big, super important thing that I'm supposed to do in my life, every second is ticking away. And if I don't do it now, and if I don't move towards that now, and if I'm not working on the thing that I'm supposed to to achieve this huge, important thing in my life, I'm throwing it away. And I always remember I was in my... 
I was in my uh, apartment here on Umbrego. We had this really cool house. It had these six single rooms. They were tiny, like the entire room was, you know, the size of this table. And there was a commercial that came on at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I actually wasn't high. I was sober watching this. And it was a, a commercial about insurance. I mean, it was like the stupidest thing. Like, what? Freaking 21-year-old cares about any life insurance, anything. And there was this old guy in a park bench. And it was like one of the little vignettes. And he's just watching people playing in the park. And he says the phrase, I wish I had more time. And when I tell you this, I mean it. I don't think I've cried in the last six, seven years. I started crying. And I started crying because the thought of Fast-forwarding my life 65 years from that moment and, f- and having that feeling like I wish I had more time, I wish I had more time because I didn't do all the things in life that I wanted to do, struck me like somebody taking a sword and putting it in my gut. And I was like, that, if there's anything I never want to feel in my life, it's that one feeling, that I wish I had more time. And I made a decision right then and there that no matter what, I would always be willing okay taking a risk. I would always be willing okay not getting what I wanted as long as I went after it. Because I never wanted to feel like I wish I had more time. And so today, 12 years later, I'm 33, I wake up every morning feeling this perpetual sense of urgency that today's the day. I've got to do the thing today that helps me to create this big, important, meaningful life and help lots of other people and have this rich, rewarding life that I want. And that was the process I went through when I started doing the campaign for student body president. And I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't a particularly connected person on campus, popular. Wasn't a popular kid in high school. I played high school basketball. I kind of stuck to that. I was a good student, not a great student, smart enough to get A's and B's, but never really tried like that much harder than anybody else. Came here, was involved in different things, but never did anything so special. But when I made the decision that I was going to run for student body president here, I, I, I... attached it to my own identity. And I told myself, at no cost am I going to do, I'm going to give it every single thing I have to make sure I have a chance to win. And that was the third lesson, which is the only variable you can really control in life for success is your work ethic. And when I tell you, I promise, take the laziest person in this class, I guarantee you I work less than you. I went to less class, I took less notes, I studied less for tests, I just kind of got by because I was smart enough. But when I made a decision that I was going to run for student body president, I made a decision in that moment that I was going to give it every last bit that I had. And I stood outside the freaking USEN for two months, passing out flyers every day for four to six hours a day. I passed out in two months 15,000 flyers. I spent 12 hours a day for two months straight, doing nothing but going to every college uh, club campus, talking to everyone on campus, getting other people to try to do things to help me win the election, putting up signs late at night. I stopped going to class. I literally, for two months, stopped going to class. 
because the only thing that mattered to me was winning this election. And I realized the only variable I could control was how hard I worked. And in life you're going to find success comes to you for lots of reasons. It comes to you because you're lucky and you have good timing. It comes to you because you're smart. It comes to you because you put yourself in the right place at the right time. But the only thing that you can really control in that process is how hard you work. And I know most of you are not working at 100% capacity. And that's okay. You know why? Because you're living your life. And you've got plenty of time. But you don't want to be the person five years from now and ten years from now that still hasn't picked something to give it to be your all. And I'm sad to say a big percentage of you will. And I don't know who. I can't tell you right now. But I know a lot of you are going to be in your mid-twenties and you're going to feel totally lost and you'll have skated by here at UCSB and you'll be that same person five years from now. And you'll be leading a life that won't make you happy. And it's not going to get you anywhere. And so my advice is pick something, whatever that thing is, whether it's school, which it certainly wasn't for me, or business, or a relationship, or a nonprofit, or a hobby, and give it everything you've got. And so after I, uh, I won the election, and it was a runoff, it was like the closest election in like UCSB history, um, and then the year that I spent actually being the student body president was this great experience for being an entrepreneur because there's you know, hundreds of people in AS, you're helping to manage them, you're doing budgets. Uh, and then I thought that I was going to go to law school after I graduated. And my background is, you know, I grew up in this like, classic family with like, much older Jewish parents. My parents are in their 80s. My dad's Persian, he was an immigrant. He has like, a functional eighth grade education. And ever since I was a kid, all I ever heard was, go to a law school and help me with the family business. This is what you are going to do, Jason. It wasn't even a choice, right? I was like 13 years old. You're going to law school. You're going to help me with the family business. And so, okay, my whole life I just thought I was going to law school because this is what this, like, scary, scar-faced, like, Persian guy was saying to me. And he's like, say hello to my little friend, man. You're going to law school, okay? You're going to start a law, how about a family business? And um, he didn't actually hold his crotch when he did that. <laughs> and so I had made a decision at the, end of, at the end of my senior year of college that I actually wasn't going to go to law school, but instead... I was going to be a motivational speaker. And why anyone was going to come to see a 21-year-old kid from Beverly Hills wanting to be a motivational speaker, I don't know. But I just started telling everyone that I knew that I was going to be a motivational speaker. And I remember I was at a, an event here on campus it was that the chancellor put together, and I was invited because I was a student body president. And the woman that was the ambassador to Yemen that later went on to be the ambassador she went on to be the ambassador to, I think, literally, like, Iraq or Afghanistan during the war. I mean, she was a tough lady that, it, you know, she asked me at the, one of these cocktail parties, oh, what are you doing next year, Jason? I said, oh, I'm a bit of a motivational speaker. And she spent the next 15 minutes grilling me, grilling me, like, who's going to come see you speak? What do you have to talk about? Like, who's going to pay you money? What makes you qualified? I just said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to do it. And what was really important about that is there's two 
camps. There's two thoughts that people are going to tell you about how to set goals. Some people are going to say, hey, when you've got a goal or when you've got an idea, don't tell anybody. Keep your idea secret. Don't tell people your goals. They're going to take your ideas. They're going to shit on your goals. They're going to tell you you can't be successful at it. And yeah, that's going to happen. It will. And then there's this other camp, which is when you have an idea, a business idea, or what you want to do with your life, share it with lots of people. And share it with lots of people because you're going to get good feedback and ideas. But there's another reason why it's really important, once you make a decision what you're going to do, to share it with other people. And that's because you create mental contracts. You now have social pressure on you to go through with that thing that you said you were going to do. And if you're a person of any integrity whatsoever, and you tell all these people in your life, I'm going to do X, and then you don't do it, you're going to feel like a douche. I'm just saying, you're going to feel like douchey McDoucherson, douche the third. And so my thought process was I'm going to tell all these people what I'm going to do. And so I just started telling everyone I was going to be a motivational speaker. When I graduated, I found this company that ended up getting bought by Monster.com that was hiring people to go talk to high school and college students. It's like, I could do that. So they, they got me to do that. Then I found these other companies that would hire people in their 40s and 50s to do one-day seminars on things like communication skills and negotiations and sales. And I realized the only reason they hired people is not because they were experienced, but because they had to sell product in the back of the room. I was like, I could do that, and I bet I could do that better than other people. And so I told them, give me a shot, and if I'm not one of the top 10% of salespeople, you can fire me. And then I did do what John said, which is my last year of college. I took a a weekend class in hypnosis. And for one hour in that weekend class, they said, how to do a stage hypnosis show. And the very first stage hypnosis show I ever did was because buddies of mine, I was in the A-Pi fraternity for like a year, and they asked me after I graduated if I could do a show for them in UCLA, and I said, okay. And one of the things I'm going to tell you later is how that first show I did went horribly wrong. But I spent two years, and one day I would fly to Berkeley and do a stage hypnosis show. And actually, I would, for a year, I did all the shows for all the incoming freshmen at UCSB the year after I graduated, which was kind of cool. And then the next day, I would drive to San Diego from L.A. and do a talk for high school students. And then the day after that, I would fly out to Texas to a little Holiday Inn and do a seminar for 30 people. And I did this for two years straight. And every day I woke up and was on the road speaking and talking to different folks. I didn't make a ton of money. But one thing that you're also going to learn is how the things that you do in life You're never sure how they're going to come back and you're going to use them later on. And what I didn't realize at that time was that two years that I was spending was probably the most valuable thing I ever did to help me raise millions and millions of dollars. So let me pause there and just tell you a little bit about myself now. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of DocStock. DocStock's one of the most trafficked sites on the Internet today. It's in the top 500 most visited sites on the Internet. There are 20 million people a month that come to DocStock.com. There are 20 million registered users on DocStock.com. And there have been over half a billion people in the last four years that have at some point landed on our website. And what we do is we help small businesses by providing them documents, videos, articles that help them start, grow, and manage their business. 
We raised $4 million for this business. We've been growing. There's 40 folks that work for us in our office in Santa Monica, right by the beach. After I finished this beach school, I went to another beach school. I went to Pepperdine for business school and law school. And it was while I was going to business school and law school that I started working on DocStock. And I had never built any kind of business like that before. And I'll tell you about the business I built in between. Uh, and in fact, I came here to do a talk last year for John's class. And one of the students that was in the class reached out to me afterwards. And he's now the head of our customer service team and probably one of the coolest employees that I think the most of in our company. And uh, what I can tell you is that these lessons that I'm going over are the exact things that got me to the place running one of the biggest, most popular internet companies in the world. And really, there is nothing distinguishable between me and you. I don't even think, honestly, if I applied to UCSB today, I'd get in. Really don't. Most of you are smarter than me. You're certainly more athletic. Some of you may be better looking. I don't know which ones, but some of you. And there is absolutely nothing in our backgrounds, nothing in uh, our skill set to distinguish us in any meaningful way. Except I've lived and followed these lessons that I hope that you're going to also. And it was in between when I stopped, uh, when I stopped speaking. Um, let me find. It was when I stopped speaking. I went to work for the only person I worked for a year, and he was a really successful entrepreneur. And we worked on a startup for a year. And I had spent two years coalescing and learning about sales. And then he was the person that really brought everything together for me and taught me about sales. And he taught me the five-step sales process, which is you can use this five-step sales process to sell anything, to sell a product, to sell a service, to sell yourself to a girl or a guy, to sell, your, to sell anything, anyone, at any time. And that five-step process is one, gain interest, two, establish credibility, three, establish need, four, offer a solution, and five, have a system for an easy transaction. And what we often do when we try to motivate and persuade other people is we start talking about ourselves. How many friends do you have like how many friends do you have that just spend all their time talking about themselves? You know I'm, you know this person I'm talking about, right? By the way, if you don't know this person, you are this person. <laughs> We're not interested in other people. We're interested in ourselves. You know why I don't get nervous when I speak in public and why I'm speaking to you right now? Because most people standing here are thinking oh my gosh, I've got 400 pairs of eyes on me. They're all wondering what I'm going to say next and how I'm coming off. I know that's not the case. You're not thinking about me at all. You don't care about me at all. You shouldn't care about me at all. You care about yourself. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about how am I going to make money to get the things I want. You're thinking about who am I going to be dating and hanging out with. You're thinking about how you look physically. You know what we all think about all the time? Money, health, and love. When you're young, you think about how do you get money, how do you get sex, and how do you look. When you get old, you think about how do I not lose my money, how do I not have aches and pains, and how, are, you know, how do I make sure that like, somebody who I've like, loved is still with me in my life. 
That's a thing that everybody thinks about in every moment of every day. And if you learn to talk to people about the things that they're thinking about, you're always able to persuade them. Number two, establish credibility. You have credibility both because of the things you've done, but also who you are. Are you sincere? Are you straightforward? Are you honest? Are you transparent? Established need. Here's the biggest trick of all. When I was, uh, when I was 16, I got trained to speak. I got trained to be a crisis hotline uh, volunteer. And I would pick up phone calls of, of other teens that were literally feeling suicidal and wanted, were about to take their life. It was called Teen Hotline in L.A. And what they spent 10 weeks teaching us is don't ever give somebody advice. Don't ever tell them what to do. Just listen actively to what somebody says and reiterate it back to them. And women are naturally a lot better than this at men. They're just naturally more empathetic. They listen, and then they just tell you what you just said. As guys, are like, oh, here's what you're going to do. You do this, and you do that. You're going to fix it. You're going to do this. I mean, take John. John's like a big, important VC. He's called into board meetings. You think he sits there and actively listens and then empathetically says, oh, I feel your pain? No, he's like, get your shit done. Make money. Right? He can't do that when he goes home with his wife. She's going to kick his ass. And so the way that we establish need is we simply ask other people, what are they looking for? What do they want? What are they thinking? And then all we have to do is tell back to them what they just said to us. And the trick is not that we understand what they need, but that they feel like we understand what they need. And that's when people say things to you like, oh my God, I can't believe someone finally understands the way I feel. What should I do? What do we do next? Where do we go from here? And it's in that moment you have the ability to persuade anybody in any direction and sell anything that you want to. And then what you do is you offer a solution that matches their need. You offer them something of value that matches the thing that they need help with. And you don't offer anything but that that they told you that they were looking for. People will tell you what you need, they need. And all you need to do in return is say if your product, if your service, if you as an individual can match that need for them. And then that last part about an easy transaction is really just about let's get started right away. And it's that five-step sales process that you can sell anything to anyone. So when I was in grad school, uh, my first year in business school, I spent, um, as John said, I, was, I ran for student body president in business school. And I spent my entire second year of grad school, which is my first year of law school, which is pretty gnarly, even for someone that doesn't study a lot launching a business plan competition at, at the Pepperdine Business School that had never been there before. And it was literally a full-time job. I, mean, I spent 30 hours a week as a first-year law school student, six months of my life, getting a business plan competition launch that, by the way, is eight years in now and still going. And it was only when I finished that thing that I sat back and I felt like such a stupid jerk and I was thought to myself for the first time, I'm like, I'm 26 years old, 
I still haven't done anything in my life that's really built a lot of financial wealth for me. I'm running for student body presidents. I'm the head of these clubs. I'm freaking spending my time doing a business plan competition. Why aren't I putting this energy and effort into starting a business? And that same effort that I could have put into all these things, I could have put into doing something big and huge and important for myself. And that's when I realized that all effort is equal. The same raw effort it takes to start a college club or to plan a party for your fraternity is the same raw effort it's going to take you to build a billion-dollar business or change the world. Now, you may need different skill sets. You may need to take a different path. But the output of effort, that variable of effort, it's the exact same. It's that same amount of effort. Which means dream big. Don't set your sights short. The same effort it's going to take to get all A's at UCSB is the same effort it's going to take to do the most amazing, incredible, big thing that you could ever imagine doing in your life ever. And if you've got that sense of urgency like me, you're going to want to do it now. And John's not going to like this, but my advice to you is stop spending time on schoolwork. It's not going to get you anywhere. No one cares about your grades. I've never asked anyone I've hired, what did you fucking get in school? (laughs) I don't care. What I do care is what they've accomplished in the past. And the same effort it's going to take you to excel in this class is the same raw effort it's going to take you to achieve any goal that you think is the biggest, most amazing thing in your life. Because effort is equal. You don't have to have a product to sell a product. And that was one of the most important lessons I learned from starting this little rinky-dink consulting shop where I realized I didn't have to have experience. I didn't have to be out of school. I didn't have to have all this amazing skill set and other clients. I just had the, the ability to sell myself. And it was when I was at, can you pull it up? It was when I was in this consulting firm. It was called Venture. And John gave me way too much credit, sound like I was some venture capitalist. I was hustling to get people to give me to write a business plan, to do different things. We had one client we spent two weeks setting up their freaking Sprint phone service because that's what they needed. It turned into a glorified temp. I was getting like a business degree, a law degree. I spent two weeks on the phone with some lady, you know, in Texas, like, your Sprint account is not set up yet. I was like, damn you, lady. I'm running a consulting company. The Word document? Oh, the PDF? And if you maximize it. And I just saw all these people make these mistakes in their business. And this is, if you're going to start any business, the 10 questions you've got to ask yourself. First, and by the way, if, the, if you need to write a business plan, you don't need to go farther than writing these 10 questions. And you don't need to go farther than addressing them in a few bullet points on a slide. And if you have a 15-slide PowerPoint deck with lots of pictures and very little text, that's the entire business plan you need to ever raise any money. And people like John, who went to lots of grad schools and are super smart and educated, you know, smarty smartersons, you know what they like? 
they like kids' storybooks. They like opening up a PowerPoint with lots of pretty pictures and a little bit of text. And if you give them a lot of text, they're not going to read it. So the first thing is you want to describe what is your product or service. Explain it to me like I'm a fifth grader such that I could explain it to another fifth grader and it made sense. If you can't explain your product and service to a fifth grader such that they could explain it to an adult and someone could understand it, your product or service is too complicated. The second thing is, what's its unique value proposition? Very simply, what makes it different or better? What makes your product or service different or better? Not the first of its kind. What makes it different or better? Facebook was not the first of its kind. Groupon was not the first of its kind. They were different and better. What's the market opportunity? What problem do you solve? How many total dollars spent are, are a year are into the category you have? Who are your competitors? How fast is the market growing? How do you make money? Is somebody going to hand you money for it? Is it a subscription service? Is it ads? How do you make money from your product or service? You will be very surprised how many people don't even think how they're going to make money from their product or service. Who's the management team? Who's running it? What's the strategy? What's your strategy is very simple. What's this business going to be like in 10 years from now? And then the second part of your strategy is what do you need to accomplish in three months, in six months, nine months, and 12 months? That's it. That's your strategy. You know what all these strategy consultants are? They're dummies. I'm the head of strategy, a strategy consultant. Ah, whatever. Go do something. Go build something. Don't consult on being strategy. How do you market your product or service? How are you going to get people to buy your product or service? How much capital do you need? How much money do I need to get this product or service off the ground and to get people buying it? How much am I going to need for the first year? What are your projected financials? How much do you think you're going to make the first year, second, third year? And what are you going to spend the first year, second, third year? And when do you become profitable? And finally, what's the valuation of the company? Which is, simply means, if you're going to give up a certain percent of your company, how much do you want back? Right? So John's going to give you $5,000 and take 90% of your company. I'll give you $50,000 and take 2% of your company. Who do you want to work with? I guess they still want to work. Well, you're grading their paper, so maybe they're still going to work with you. And that's it. That's a 10 questions to consider when you're starting a business. And if you follow those 10 questions and write them out in a PowerPoint deck, you will have a better business plan than the vast majority of most entrepreneurs that come to my office, and I've seen probably hundreds of businesses pitched in the last year alone. And here was the last big thing I did in the school process. And I still do it today, which is court mentors. And I'll tell you the secret of what I did in grad school and how I raised half, over half a million dollars within four weeks of graduating law school, having never raised money before. We've established I didn't go to a lot of class, right? I think we got that down. I didn't take a lot of notes. I didn't do a lot of homework. I didn't read a lot of cases. I wasn't that guy. What I did do is every single week, I would meet successful people and alumni from my school or from the community at large, 
And it changed, and sometimes I thought I wanted to do real estate, and so I met real estate people, and other times I thought I wanted to start a business, so I started, met those people. Sometimes I thought I wanted to go into politics, so I met and talked to those people. And I, I went in their office, and I asked for a half-hour meeting. And you'd be surprised. When you call somebody up and you say, hey, I'm a student, it's like magic. People will take meetings with you if you're a student, or especially if you're a student at your school. I mean, if any of you call me up like, hi, Jason, I'm a student at UCSB. Is it okay if I get 20 minutes of your time? UCSB, that's awesome. Come on in. Someone could be trying to like, sell me data servers, and I was like, there's a veiled wall. I'm like, there's no way this person is ever coming to see me. You're a student at UCSB? Awesome. Come on in. I'm making the time. And I knew this. I knew this trick. And so I would call other alumni, and I would ask to come in, and I didn't ask for anything. I didn't ask for a job. I didn't ask for anything. I just asked them to tell me their story. And we talked for about 20, 30 minutes. I was respectful of their time. And then at the end of that, I asked every single person, would you consider being my mentor? And I promise you, I had a 100% ratio of yes. I mean, you've got to be like a screwed, shriveled heart asshole of a person to tell this student, like, yeah, no, I'm not going to be your mentor. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. And, and, yeah. In fact, they're like, oh, my God, mentor, I'd love, great. And you know what now established a relationship? Now they actually feel responsible for me. Now this person that they didn't know but half an hour ago leaves their office and they're thinking to themselves, God, I'm somebody's mentor. <laughs> Whoa! Wow, I'm a, they go home to their wives that night to their husbands like, I'm this kid's mentor. <laughs> they feel a sense of responsibility. I call and email them. And it's like, hi, I'm your mentee. It's like, hey, mentee, I'm your mentor. And little did they know that I was like a mentee whore. And I had asked like hundreds of people to be my mentor. Maybe I'd be walking down the street and like bump into a stranger. It's like, hey, I'm a new mentor. Really? Hey, so am I. Tell me about your mentee. Well, he's this kid at UCSB. Really? So is mine. I, I, I had like mentee STDs. I had so many mentors. But I had courted all these relationships. And then more importantly, I stayed in touch with them. And I asked them for advice. And I took their advice. And it was these people that were my mentors of which I literally had over 100. I had asked over 100 people to be my mentor. Literally. I said the phrase to over 100 people, will you be my mentor? And over 100 people said yes. And it was that group of people that gave me half a million dollars to start DocStock before I even had a product. Now, I was building a product. I had put in the $15,000 I had in savings. I had put $20,000 on my credit cards. I had put in student loans that I'm still paying back today. But I got the money to start DocStock from that group of people that told me they were my mentors. And one of the most important things you can start doing today is take two hours out of every week and specifically, like clockwork, religiously, set up meetings with people that you want to be like five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, Ask them their story. Ask them how they got there. Ask them for advice. And then ask them to be your mentor. And follow up with them afterwards, time and time again. And those relationships will come back to pay you in dividends. So now we come to the phase of doc stock. And here I was. um, I was a law school student at Pepperdine. 
And this idea for this website, it was 2006, and I thought, there should be something like YouTube but for documents. There should be somewhere where people can go to get any business or legal document fast, easy, and free. There should be somewhere that's the repository for all of the best business, legal, educational, financial documents that you could find, that you could search, discover, and easily download and print. And I wrote that paragraph down on a PowerPoint, and that became the business plan of DocStock. And I had lots of questions of what to do and how to do it, because I had never done this before. And I know you've got a lot of those questions, too. I know you have questions for the big things you're trying to figure out in your life about what to do and how to do it. And let's just take probably one of the biggest questions, which is, what the heck are you going to do when you leave here? When you're not being told every day what to do, and when you don't have classes to go to, and when you don't have 20 other thousand people your own age going through their own experience hanging out with you, what are you going to do every day? What's that first job going to be like? What are those first two years going to be like? And what do I do, and how do I do it to make sure I really get to have the experience that I want? And those are good questions. They're fine questions. But they're not the right question to ask to start. The only important question to ask to start is why. Meaning, what's your why? What's driving you? What's your passion? What's your why for doing that thing that you say that you're going to do? Because if you don't have a big why, and if it's not pushing you forward and driving you, you're always going to use the what and the how as an excuse for not doing that thing that you said you were going to do. I'll repeat that. If you don't have a big why, and if you're not connected to it, if it's not the thing that's driving and pushing you forward, you're always going to use the what and the how as an excuse for not doing the thing you said you were going to do. Oh, I was going to start this business, but I really I couldn't figure out how to do it. I couldn't raise the money. It's not true. Other people have figured out how to do it. Other people have raised the money. You didn't have a big why. And the thing about it is, it doesn't make a difference what your why is. Your why can be that you want to be the richest person in the world. Your why can be that you want to build a product that helps millions of people. Your why can be that you want to give back to charity for the rest of your life. Your why can be that you want to become such a baller that you could get laid five times a day every day if you want to. Your why could be that you want to prove yourself to your mom and dad. It doesn't make a difference what your eye is. The only thing that makes a difference is that you know what your why is, that it's a big why, that you're connected to it, that you've written it down on a sheet of paper, that you've put it in your pocket, that you keep it close to you, because it's going to get freaking hard. It's going to get tough. The first two years of running DocStock, I was in that office every day, 15 to 16 hours a day, six and a half days a week. I started DocStock at 165 pounds. I'm 205 now. I still work on average 12 hours a day out of our office. 
It is hard. Whether you're starting a business, want the job of your dreams, want the relationship, life is tough. And if you don't have a big why and know what it is and are connected to it, you're always going to use the what and the how as an excuse for not doing that thing that you said you were going to do. And that's why we start with the why. So what do you do, though, when you are first starting out? I mean, when I sat in these classes and I would hear people come in, and listen, by no means I'm trying to say that I'm this crazy successful person, or even the successful person. I'm paying back student loans. I'm trying to sell this company to have a big financial outcome. I've got more money to spend at Freebirds than you guys do. I'm happy to take any of you guys to Freebirds afterwards. That's where I'm going. But I used to always wonder if people would come in and I hear these people talk. It's like, so after I made my first 10 million, this is then how I made my next 100 million. It's like, hey, Joker, how'd you make your first 10 million? How'd you do that? How, how when you don't have money, do you build or make something that makes any money? Like, why is everybody skipping over that part? (laughs) Tell me how you first started making money. What was that very first thing that you did that you started making money? To then you had all this money to make more money. And I can tell you the situations that I did, but that's less important than telling you how people do it, which is they sell ether. Great entrepreneurs, great leaders, great politicians... Great religious figures sell ether. It means they have the ability to sell a dream. And when you don't have money, when you don't have resources, when you don't have cash, when you don't have experience, what do you trade? What's your currency? How do you get people to do things? Right? DocSoc makes millions of dollars a year now. I can pay people to do stuff. I don't need ether. I've got money. (laughs) Money works pretty well. (laughs) It's a pretty good exchange to get people to do things they want. Hey, I want you to do this. I'll pay you $10,000. Okay, good deal. (laughs) If I wanted a Freebirds, if I offered any of you $5,000, you guys are going to raise your hand. Somebody's getting me a freaking (laughs) Freebirds. It works. (laughs) But I bet you I could get somebody to get me a Freebirds off of ether without any money. So what does that really mean? Selling ether means you have the ability to sell a dream. It means you can paint a future experience for somebody in such specific detail, with such specific color and intricacies, that it feels like a real currency, that it's not ether, that it feels tangible. You paint a future experience for somebody. When I wanted somebody to design the first DocStock website for us and I didn't have any money to give him, I had to tell this person what they were going to get in three months, how they were going to get all this deferred compensation, how they were going to get equity in this company, how they were going to have the pride of being able to create this website that thousands of people would see in a very short period of time. And I painted that picture. I took that ether and I put it in very specific detail. And then I infused it with the most important thing of all, which was my certainty. And it's your certainty 
that makes ether a real, tangible entity such that it becomes a currency that you can trade with other people to get them to do things for you before you actually have the resources and the money to pay people in a currency that they're used to. And that's a lesson that every great leader, every great politician, every great entrepreneur has learned and applies on a constant basis. They know how to sell ether. It's since that time, you know, people have come to me and said a lot of times, oh, DocStock's successful because it was such a good idea. DocStock's such a great idea. DocStock's a lame idea. A place you can get documents? The freaking internet was invented as a place to get documents. Google, Google calls web pages documents because the internet was invented as a place to freaking share documents. And me, 30 years later, I'm like, hey... Here's a place to share documents. Duh, not a good idea. But probably okay execution. A lot of you are going to come up to me after this talk and you're going to say, hey Jason, I got an idea. I want to run it by you. Can I tell you my idea? Sure, tell me your idea. I'll tell you in response. I have no freaking idea if it's good or if it's bad, it can sound like it's good, it can sound like it's bad. I've seen some of the stupidest ideas that I thought would never work become some of the biggest businesses. And I've seen some of the best ideas I thought turn into crap. Ideas do not make a difference. Execution does. I can take the smartest, hardworking group of people in here, and I can give you the dumbest shit idea, and you're going to turn it into something successful. And I can take the laziest least productive of you and give you the best idea and you're not going to turn it into anything. Ideas don't make differences in business. Execution does. Don't get too caught up on your idea. You know why this is also important? Because we all say to ourselves, oh, I'll do it when I've got... I don't have an idea yet. You know how many people have come into my office and said they want to be an entrepreneur? They're just not doing it because they don't have an idea yet? Like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You don't have an idea. Look at any successful business and just do it different or better. Why do, I would never want to start a business that no one's ever done before. You know why? Because no one's ever done it before. I don't want to have to figure it out. I want to take something that somebody else has done. I want to do it different. I want to do it better. And I want to freaking make money on it. I want to help some people. But I don't want to have to figure it out myself. Ideas do not matter in business. Execution does. When you first start out, the other key thing is the power of now. If you want something, you got to want it now. Speed and momentum are key. What happens is, as an entrepreneur, you're running against the wind. And you've got to break through this windshield. And if you stop and try to start... And if you go slowly, the wind is going to break you down. The only way that you really get going as an entrepreneur is to jump into it. You know why most businesses don't succeed? Because they never get started in the first place. That's why most businesses don't succeed. <coughs> Not because they get started and then they fail. 
They don't succeed because they were never started to begin with. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to go into politics, if you want to have a great job, if you want to get the girl of your dreams, then start working on it right now. Like, get up and leave and go. I'm not offended, I promise. Anyone who gets up and leaves to go do the thing that they want to do, you're okay in my book. Call me afterwards, I'll, tell, I'll give you this presentation, it's on DocSoc, and I'll help you out. If there's something that's important that you want to do, <coughs> you got to want to do it now. you got to move fast on it. you got to have that sense of urgency. Like, I want it, and I want it now. Thanks for the vodka, John. <laughs> so what happens? You, you come up with an idea. By the way, if you can tell I haven't memorized my slides, I have to cheat. I have to push one forward and then go back. I'm doing it like I'm trying to fool you guys. I'm like, hey, look at me over here. Let me move the slide forward and then move it back because I haven't memorized my slides. I'm still not great at doing notes. This is actually the first time I'm giving this talk like this. I told John, I wrote this presentation 45 minutes before I drove here. It's like frantically, people were knocking on my door. I'm like, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> I gotta write this presentation. <laughs> so you're gonna have business ideas. I know a bunch of you have business ideas now. And here's this weird, tough thing. We know that really successful business people are able to see things that other people don't. When Walt Disney said he was going to build a land of animals, a land of Disney, do you think people said to him, oh, hey, that sounds like a great idea? (laughs) No. (laughs) Mr. White said, hey, Disney, get off the crack. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. But Disney saw something in his head that no one else could see. And we know that's what makes successful entrepreneurs. We know that's the mythology, right? We know that story about Steve Jobs. He saw something that no one else saw, and he went after it. That's true. He did, and those people do. But we also know that most businesses that get started don't succeed and don't work out. And we know that the most successful businesses pivot they become a different business than what they started out as. You know what Twitter started out as? It started as a company called Odeo that was trying to do an MP3 music solution. That's what they raised money for. And the guys that had started it came from Google, and they sold that site Blogger to Google, and they raised $4 million or so to do the site Odeo, and nobody wanted it. It was stupid. So the guy running Odeo said to his entire team, take two weeks, come up with a new idea, come back to us. And Jack Dorsey and Biz Stone came up with an idea called Twitter. Twitter didn't start as Twitter. PayPal didn't start as PayPal. Groupon didn't start as Groupon. Show me 100 successful businesses and I'll show you at least 75 that in some meaningful way pivoted from where they started. So how do we, how do we balance those two? How on the one hand do you be this really successful, visionary, CEO type that sees things that other people don't? And even when people tell you to course correct and do things differently, you can see that North Star. While having the fortitude and and wisdom to know when and how to change course. And the answer to that 
is the answer to the entrepreneur's dilemma, which is you stay attached to the problem you're trying to solve, but be very flexible in the solution to solving that problem. So the answer to the entrepreneur's dilemma is to stay attached to the problem you're trying to solve, but be flexible in the solution to solving those problems. A lot of you have got ideas for businesses right now. And I would bet 9 out of 10 of you, the source of that idea is a great one. You've identified a really important problem to solve. But you're probably coming up with some pretty stupid solutions to solve it. And that's just because you haven't done it before. That's okay. We all start somewhere. And what I often tell people is, hey, don't get discouraged if this website you want to build doesn't make any sense or someone's done it before. Don't get discouraged if this service you provide is something that may not make you any money. The core root of the problem you want to solve is an important one and one that should be solved. Stay attached to solving that problem, but be flexible in the solution of how to solve it. Once you actually start building your product, make sure you can say with as much sincerity and truthfulness and outside objective opinion that it's different or better than what already exists. Facebook was just different and better than MySpace. MySpace was just different and better than Friendster. Google was just different and better than Yahoo. If you can say that your product is different or better, it will succeed. And what's important about that is you don't have to come up with an original idea. You know how I come up with business ideas? And we've been doing it for the last two months at DocStock because we're looking at building new products and services. I look at existing businesses that are doing well, that are making money, and I say, how could I copy that business but do it different and better? What's my competitive advantage? Will I work harder? Am I smarter? Do I have more connections? How can I do what they're doing, but I can do it different or better? And if you're thinking about wanting to start a business, my biggest piece of encouragement to you is don't go any farther than looking at an existing business that exists and is working and is making money, and then ask yourself, how can I do this different and better, and then start offering that product or service out to other people? There's a great book out right now called The Lean Startup. And it's by someone named Eric Ries, and he was a CTO, and he started this chat client service. And his whole idea and methodology is that in technology, instead of taking these long cycles of three, six, nine, 12 months to build a product that you do in a vacuum, and you get lots of user feedback that you think it will work, and then putting it out in the market, build things in three to six weeks and put it out there with lots of bugs, issues, and problems, and see if people take to it. Because getting a product, getting a service in the hands of people, and then letting those people in real life, in real time, in a real market condition, tell you whether it's going to work a lot, is much more valuable than trying to build something over a long period of time. And for any of you that are looking to start a business, I would start with the following question. Ask yourselves this. If it's a service-based business, something that you're going to do, Ask yourself, how within two weeks and $1,000 could I start providing the service? Literally. 
For how within two weeks and for $1,000 could I start providing the service such that I could immediately start charging somebody for it? If it's a product that you're looking to build, either a physical product, maybe you've got an idea to build a new kind of laptop cover, or a digital product, you want to get a website up and going, ask yourself, how could I build this in two months for under $10,000? And just get that product or service in the hands of other people and let real people in real time tell you if they want your stuff. At some point, you may not be able to actually keep funding your own product. I funded Docstock as far as I could. I spent what was in my savings. I maxed out my credit cards. I took out student loans. Literally, to this day, my dad does not know that I have like, student loans out. He would lose his shit if he knew I had student loans. I was paying back. But what's important when you go to actually raise money... And when I raised that half a million dollars from all those mentors, I didn't have to sell the product. When you go to raise money, what you do is you first sell yourself. Your friends and family, professional investors, angel investors, the kind of people that will give you 10, 30, 50, 100, $250,000 for your business are not investing in your business. They're investing in you. They're going to make a bet on you. The people that gave me that first half a million dollars to get DocSock off the ground, most of them never even looked at the business plan deck for DocSock. Most of them never even took the time to look at those 15 slides I put together. You know what they said to me? It doesn't make a difference what your business is, Jason. We're making a bet on you. And what you do when you go to raise money is you've got to realize you're always first selling yourself. Which means we start off by being transparent and sincere and honest. And we tell people where we're at and we tell them what we're going to do. And they understand our product or service. And we tell people what we're going to accomplish and we then exceed on those goals, which we'll come back to. The, The best way to build credibility with somebody and the best way to raise money is to be sincere and to exceed expectations. And I know some of you want to raise money for businesses that you're doing, and I'll tell you exactly how you do it. And if any of you want to raise money from John Greathouse, I'm going to tell you exactly how to raise money from John. I'm going to tell you exactly. And I promise you when I finish saying this, John will say, I absolutely agree. The way you're going to raise money from John and that he's going to give you thousands of dollars of his own personal money or potentially millions of dollars that he's raised from other people who are called limited partners in his venture capital fund is you're going to go to John and you're going to say, Hey, John, I've got this idea for a product or service. I think it can be a big business. In the next three months, I'm going to get it off the ground and we're going to get the first thousand users using it. John would be cool. Good luck. Let me give you some advice. And then you're going to go back to John, not three months later, but two months later. And you're going to tell him not only that you built that product or service, and and it doesn't have 1,000 users, it's got 5,000. You know what John's going to think? John's going to think, wow, this person is already different than the 99 out of 100 people that come to me with their lame-ass Captain Crunch ideas... (laughs) 
And they said what they were going to do, and they did it. And then in that next conversation, you're going to tell John, hey, John, what things do you think are really important and meaningful that we need to achieve in the next six months to, to scale this business? And John will tell you, you need this many customers, you need to make this much money, you need to get this much traction. And you're going to look John in the eye and you're going to tell him, John, in the next six months, I'm going to hit every single one of those goals. And John will think to himself, I hope this person does. And then you're going to call up John, and he's going to take your call because you asked him to be your mentor. (laughs) And you're going to go back to him four months instead of six months, and you're going to say, John, remember we agreed that we were going to get our first 50,000 customers and make our first $100,000 in revenue? We've got 100,000 customers and $500,000 in revenue. And John's going to think to himself, this is something I want to be a part of. And then you're going to tell John, I need a million dollars to really get this business going. And John's going to say, I'm going to give you that money. Is there anything I said that you disagree with? No. (laughs) The way you get people to be money is you're sincere you set expectations, and you over-deliver. I've never once told my board a meaningful metric that I didn't overachieve on. And that's because I manage their expectations by making sure I can deliver on things, by making sure I'm going to tell them how to do things that I can over-deliver on. The single biggest way to build credibility with any potential investor or people in a life is to tell them what you're going to do in what period of time to get their agreement that what you're doing is a big, important, meaningful achievement and to achieve that in a faster timeline with better results and to do it again, 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 and again. If you're that person and you approach people that way, you can get anybody to give you any amount of money. So now we get to the part of, uh, if you could pull up the presentation... What are, we're, and we're starting to come to the end of the lessons. What are the values? What do we live by? And I remember when I first started DocStock, a friend of mine said, you've got to have core values of your company. Our core values were we over-communicate. We always work hard. And uh, I love superheroes. I'm a, I'm a superhero fanatic. I spend, I, I literally... My girlfriend like, usually does Shabbat with her family on Fridays, and so sometimes I go, sometimes I just go home and pass out because I'm so tired. And uh, most Fridays I spend at home watching Cartoon Network cartoons. I watch about three hours of superhero cartoons. I watch The Avengers. I watch reruns of Justice League. I watch Batman and Superman. I watch Wonder Woman. If there is a superhero cartoon, I watch it. And a lot of nights I go to sleep dreaming about being a superhero. I'm not going to lie. I literally go to sleep dreaming that I have superpowers. That's me. And I thought, you know what? This is my company. I get to make the values, whatever the bleep I want to make them. I'm going to make our core values about superheroes. And so I wrote this blog post three years ago that went all around the internet called 10 Lessons Startups Can Learn from Superheroes. And we have this huge mural on our wall, probably about the size of three of these uh, chalkboards, of all these superheroes. And I tell every employee that I hire, you have to pick a superhero that you are. You have to tell everybody in the company. And when you come into the company every day, I want you thinking that you're that superhero. (laughs) 
And we have a mural of all of those superheroes on the wall. And here are the 10 start lessons startups learn from superheroes. One, superheroes never give up. They always continue on. They always press forward. Batman doesn't have a single superpower. But he's superhuman and that he never, ever gives up. What Batman is known for amongst every single superhero, he is the strongest mind and he's the most persistent human being on the planet whether you have powers or not. Number two, superheroes always get the job done. There's no Peter Parker as Spider-Man almost saved Mary Jane from the burning building. There's no, hey, I almost got there. Don't tell me you almost got the grade you wanted. Don't tell me you almost started the business. Don't tell me you almost got this, the, the girl. You either did or you didn't. Gray areas for Kafka, not for comic book heroes. They either get the job done or they don't. It's a pretty binary process. Superheroes are the best at what they do. If I hire a customer service person, if I hire a VP of marketing, if I hire a developer, I hire that person because they're the best at what they do. And they know they're the best, and they know that every other person that works in the company is the best at what they do. Superheroes are the best. Flash is the fastest. We've got to know that we're the best at what we do and that we work with the best. Superheroes are really, really clear on their purpose. You know Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel is a kid that met a wizard. And when he says the word Shazam, turns into this Superman-like powerful being that doesn't get affected by kryptonite. Uh, uh, Jeez. Kryptonite, thank you. And Captain Marvel, because he's a kid, because he's like a 10-year-old kid, is known as being this ridiculously cheesy superhero but he's crystal clear of his purpose, which is, I defend good. And as startups, we need to be, and as business leaders, we need to be crystal clear of our purpose. Because if we're not, we die. Superheroes aren't flawless. You're going to have flaws. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have scars and potholes and issues. The goal is not to be perfect. It's the pursuit of perfection. Superheroes don't seek the glory, but they'll get it anyway. If you go out to do something big and important, you don't have to beat your chest and say how important and wonderful and amazing you are. You'll just get the glory. It's going to come to you. Superheroes help others. And if we're starting a business, our goal is not how much money do I make. Our goal is how many people can I help? That's what superheroes think about every day, and that's what we think about as leaders. And there's a direct correlation between the number of people that we help and the amount of success that we have. Superheroes are, more, are great, can do it by themselves, but they're more powerful in teams. I don't care how important or amazing or talented or hardworking you think you are, you can do better by combining with other super people and doing it on a team. You guys are on a team. Could you do it by yourselves? You're powerful because of the team that you build around you. Superheroes' real strength comes not from their powers, but from their character. 
Christopher Reeves is my favorite Superman and will be until the day that I die, not because he was the most muscular guy or the best actor, because that guy had more character than anybody that will ever play the role of Superman. And your true power, no matter what you're talented, comes at what your character is. Be honorable, be selfless, help others. That's where your power comes from. Be courageous, be respectful. And finally, it goes to the other role I have, superheroes achieve huge feats. Superman doesn't spend his day stopping bank robbers. Superman stops the asteroid that's hurtling to Earth and is going to kill every living sentient being. The same raw effort it's going to take to start a lemonade stand or a college campus is the same raw effort it's going to take to literally save the world. Try to achieve huge feats. Can we switch out the presentation? Let me talk about the one most important thing. There is one most important thing at any time to do for your business, and there's one most important thing for you all to do right now. I don't know what it is, but I know there's one most important thing. And as far as achieving our business goals, most of us get caught up on a long list of stuff to do. We've always got a long list of stuff to do. And it feels really good to check off this stuff to do. You know why? Because we want less STDs. We want less stuff to do. And it feels good. Like, I feel like I accomplished something. Most of the stuff to do doesn't make any difference to that thing you're trying to get done. And the trick of what breaks out really successful startup companies and the trick of what really successful people do is they start off each day and they ask themselves the following question. If I get one thing done today, this week, this month, that's the most important thing, what is that? And they write it down. And they spend 80% of their time on that one thing. When we first started DocStock, I was obsessive, obsessive about the fact we had to get more traffic. That's all I thought about. Once we started getting to a critical scale of traffic and had a couple million people coming to the site, I was obsessive about the fact that we had to get to break even so that we weren't going through and burning this venture capital money that we raised so that we could be self-sufficient. Once we did that, I was obsessive about how we could grow our revenue 100% year over year, such that we could build a business that would really start to grow and justify a venture capital investment. Now I'm obsessive about owning the small business category and being the premier destination online for every single small business owner and operator and building the best products and services for them to help their lives as much as possible. At any given time in your business life and your personal life, there is one thing that if you spend 80% of your time on, 
will make the biggest difference in your lives. And I can promise you in your experience right now, that one thing is not schoolwork. But it's probably where a lot of you are spending a lot of your time. And I promise you, you can take the maybe two, three, four hours a day that you're spending doing schoolwork and in class, and if you substitute that for working on one thing that's most important for you, it's going to make a much bigger difference in your life. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.